Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, January 27th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's financial show, we're going to dig into the two bank stocks that stood out the most this earnings season so far. Uh, We've got a listener question from Twitter. We have some more of the last stock you bought and why to help me navigate all of this. It's my partner in crime, certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything? Pretty good. I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. It's. Uh, I feel like every Monday is a holiday or <laughs> some reason to take a day off. Well, the crazy are, are thing you... is today is another day off from school for us up here. The, the kids are between quarters, and so they've got Monday and Tuesday off, but... Uh, you know that 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 doesn't keep us from coming into the office. So, but yeah, I mean, it was another holiday. It, it has been a while. <laughs> you were yeah, at CES. You, you had an interview before that. Yeah, and, and you I were was at CES. CES. How, how did that go? Oh, it was a great time. Um, I was kind of overwhelmed. I hope to go there for more than just you know like a day and a half next year. Yeah. But it was kind of a last minute thing. So I'm glad I got to see all the smart home stuff that's really helping us out with the real estate. Um, kind of just noticing the trends and in. in um, and what people are putting in their houses, and I, more so than work, I found like you know five hundred things I want to buy. <laughs> so, yeah. which is kind of how CES normally goes. Yeah, I can imagine. I've never been to CES. I'm looking forward to heading out to California this summer, um, or well, close to summer. I'm getting May. I'm going to head out to uh, the Augmented World Expo, which is going to be everything augmented and virtual and mixed reality. So I feel like I'll probably be like a kid in a candy store out there. Nice. You should try to make it to CES next year. I'm gonna give it my. I'm gonna give it my best. I'm gonna give it my best. But uh, we digress, folks. Let's uh, let's jump into today's show. And before we do uh, jump into this bank's discussion, Matt, I, I did want to just get your uh, take on the market this morning. And, and, and it seems like it's not as uh, we're we're not in as great a crisis mode right now as as maybe we it seemed like we were at eight forty five this morning. But regardless, you wake up on a Monday morning and you see the Dow is selling off four or five hundred points and all of this uh, chatter about the coronavirus and, and potential for global implications there and the the, the stocks that are going to be hit from this. You see you see this this sort of emotional reaction, heavy selling early early in the week here. It can be a little bit concerning at times. I'm just wondering when you wake up on a Monday morning and you see something like this, uh, it can feel like threat level midnight to some. I wonder for you, how, how do you how do you react to things like this? What's your check to make sure that you don't overreact when you see headlines like this? When I see the market doing what it was doing this morning, I don't even log into my brokerage account. First of all, <laughs> um, it's a good time to take a step back, not make any sudden moves buying or selling, and just kind of let the emotions settle down. As you mentioned, it's it's been two – no, it's been just over an hour since the market opened, and things already seem to be kind of calming down a little bit. I want to say the futures were down by 500 points on the Dow at one point this morning, and now it's a lot less than that. So it's a good time to let things settle out. Don't react. Don't sell. Whatever you do, don't sell. And just – if your near-term spending needs are met, meaning you don't have any money in the market that you absolutely need to cover any current expenses, there's really no reason to panic over things like this. If anything, 
it could produce nice bargains in some of the some of your favorite stocks because uh, let's be honest, the market's getting kind of expensive. So it's a good time to you know take a keep a keep a watch list, but don't overreact. Don't jump into anything. If in a couple of days something looks cheap, it could be a great time to join in. But like I said, I don't even log into my brokerage account on days like this. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, like I, they say, ignorance is bliss. Sometimes not knowing <laughs> is is. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think that's a great check, though. There, I mean, you're looking for little heuristics, little ways to to be able to deal with things like this. And and uh, it's it's easy to say, don't let the emotions get the best of you. But that's the nature of emotions. We re- we we overreact. Emotions are tough to control. Um, and that's that's certainly something we work on uh, constantly here. So so that's a good insight there. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, okay, let's jump into this banks discussion because we've had, I think, the we've had most of the big banks have reported now uh, for this earnings season as we as we're just kicking off. And I mean, it's a lot of banks, right? I mean, there are a lot of big banks out there, even some some smaller banks and some mid-sized banks. But we wanted to focus on the two banks that that you felt like really had the most important uh, earnings season, right? The, the the two banks that really. These were the banks that we needed to pay close attention to, and these are the ones that really uh, gave us the information that we were looking for, or stuff that investors need to know. Uh, you're going to spotlight two banks here today. We're talking J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley. So let's just go ahead and start off with J.P. Morgan, uh, my favorite CEO in the, in the financial space, one of my favorite CEOs out there, Jamie Dimon. I mean, I just every every I love watching these reports, listening to these calls. It's just always learn something new from him. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about J.P. Morgan. What what was it that J.P. Morgan delivered this quarter that you felt was so important for investors? Well, first of all, two things before I get started on J.P. Morgan. I wasn't. I didn't have very high hopes going into this earnings season. For one, interest rates have been steadily going down in 2019, which was which is generally a bad catalyst for banks. I mean, banks make their money from loaning money out and charging interest at the at the end of the day. They have other other revenue streams, but that's really the core of the banking business. So when rates go down, profits go down. So that was one thing. Trading revenue has been a real sore spot for any bank with an investment division um, for some time now. And this was the year-end earnings. Uh, We got the year-end 2019 earnings. And in 2018, year-end earnings look great because the banks first got the big benefits of tax reform, which is not a factor anymore. So I didn't have very high hopes. And on your point, Jamie Dimon is worth every penny that J.P. Morgan pays. <laughs> um, I think they said he, he got a raise to something like $35 million. And if you ask me, they're getting him cheap. <laughs> um, I know I'm going to get some backlash for saying that, but he's, well, no, a, he's yeah, an effective leader. You just have When you say something like that, then you just say, don't at me. And then people won't <laughs> at you, right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that always works. Just ask nicely. Yeah. It always prevents it. I think it has the opposite um, effect, actually, but go on. <laughs> But I mean, just look at some of these numbers. Like I said, interest rates are falling. J.P. Morgan's deposit margins fell by nearly 30 basis points, but their consumer banking revenue still grew year over year, which I think is a pretty impressive accomplishment all by itself. Um, The bank uh, easily beat expectations for both earnings and revenue. Uh, 19% earnings growth year over year grew its revenue by 7%. And by the way, when earnings grows, grow faster than revenue, it's generally a sign that a business is becoming more efficient. And that's definitely the case here. Um, JP Morgan's efficiency ratio, which is you know, how much a bank is spending to 
get any do- every dollar in revenue. You know, mm-hmm. 60% efficiency implies that the bank is spending 60 cents for every dollar of revenue it's bringing in. JP Morgan's dropped from 59% to 55% year over year. Wow. So that's a, if, if there's a good way to combat, you know, declining interest margins, it's to improve the efficiency of your operations. And they did a great job with that. Um, looking a little bit further, I mentioned trading revenue has just been a sore spot throughout the banking industry for a while now. Um, and that's not the case anymore, especially in, in JP Morgan's case. Uh, bond trading revenue, which has been really the sore spot, was up 86% year over year and really surprised everybody. Um, you know, I saw that and I, I was wondering, I mean, that that to me, I mean, that's really a product of this low interest rate environment though, right? I mean, that's a lot of companies getting out there, trying to raise some debt, taking advantage of this low interest rate environment. I mean, that that is, that is that's something that can be a driver for that part of the business, right? Sure. And and a lot of it's because interest rates have not just been low, but they've been kind of volatile lately. Um, yeah. So, volatility generally boosts trading. For example, when the stock market's volatile, you'll see equities trading jump up. When interest rates are volatile, it's like a nice catalyst for bond trading revenue. And they were expecting a jump, but not like this. Right. Um, JP Morgan just – and if you look through the numbers, like it's tough to find anything I didn't like. Uh a nine percent increase in between in uh, credit card and auto loan revenue. Their deposit base grew by seven percent year over year, which is really good for any year in any bank. Um, wealth management revenue grew by almost twenty percent year over year because, and that's some of that stock market performance, but a lot of that is new money coming in. Um, produced a fifteen percent return on equity, which is a phenomenally good number, especially because last year was thirteen. Um, it, like I said, it's it's really rare when you look through a bank earnings report, especially a bank that's as big and diversified as J.P. Morgan Chase, and don't find anything really to complain about. And this was one of those quarters, so that's why they're one of my two winners of earnings season here. Okay, now let's flip uh, the discussion over to Morgan Stanley, a, a bank I don't think that gets it probably doesn't get as much coverage in the foolish universe as some of the other big banks, yet still a very important one and one that obviously stood out to you. So, so what did Morgan Stanley deliver this quarter that uh, that, that caught your interest? Well, they did just like J.P. Morgan. They did. There was very little to be disappointed about, but a lot of the numbers were even better, um, if that's even possible. Um, I, I wrote a piece a little while ago calling them the winner of fourth quarter bank earnings. And that was after I heard JP Morgan. So this is including them. Um, they grew their revenue by 27% year over year. JP Morgan's was seven. Um, wow. Earnings growth 63% year over year. Bond trading more than doubled 126% year over year growth and came in 36% ahead of what analysts had been looking for. Man. That's that's not just a beat. That's like a... a they blew the expectations out of the water. Yeah, that's a shellacking. <laughs> right. That's just uh, – no one expected that. Um, investment management revenue doubled year over year, 98% growth. And the big thing that I loved about Morgan Stanley, they – with their earnings report, released kind of a strategic map of where they're going. And we've talked about it before on this show that the two big investment banks, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, are both kind of trying to embrace Main Street banking but in different ways. Um, Goldman, we know, is doing the the Marcus, the savings and loan platform. They're about to roll out a few other things. They did the Apple card. Uh, Morgan Stanley's doing more of the wealth management for Main Street stuff, too. Um, one of the things that they highlighted that they want to do is convert 
workplace retirement plan participants into active wealth management clients. Hmm. Um, right now, they have about 5,000 participants that they've converted to clients. They're saying within five to seven years, that's going to get to a million. Wow. So 5,000 to a million within a year. Um, right now, 5% of their employee participants have been converted to you know one of their big programs that they have going. They want 100% of their addressable client base by 2021 in this in this program. So their wealth management business is not just for the rich and powerful anymore. They have 2.7 million participants in employee stock plans. And that gives them a huge client base to potentially convert to wealth management clients. And they laid out a nice blueprint on how to do that. And I mean, I just ran down the fourth quarter numbers, which were impressive, but this their their vision is if if they can achieve it is this could just be the start. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here, as I love to do. Um, it, when we look at J.P. Morgan, we look at Morgan Stanley to two. We we can call them two big banks, but J.P. Morgan is considerably larger. I mean, we're talking about a 415 billion dollar company, I believe here in J.P. Morgan versus uh, around 85 billion or so for Morgan Stanley. So so Morgan Stanley is a, a much smaller. Smaller bank, both obviously performing very well. If I ask, if I ask you to rank the two today, what are you putting in the number one slot for investors there versus the number two? If I were going to buy one today, if I didn't own any other bank stocks already, it would be J.P. Morgan. It's just like a great backbone bank of the banking industry. Um, but I think Morgan Stanley has the most upside potential. Over the next decade of all the big banks, I would have to say, based on this, if if they get it right, there's a lot of execution risk in their plan. Don't get me wrong. You don't get from 5,000 clients, wealth management clients to a million without a lot of execution risk and a lot of things having to fall in your favor. But having said that, they just have a ton of potential and this is a really untapped market for them. And like I said, they're going at after Main Street in a different way than Goldman. So I... I, I out of the two, I would say Morgan Stanley is is the better buy today. Okay, well, I appreciate that, and and I appreciate you pointing out that execution risk. Always a nice thing to remember is when you see management teams lob up these lofty goals. They sound great, but let's also remember to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt and understand that there is always some execution risk there, and, and that uh, is certainly the case here. Um, okay, let's let's uh, move on to our listener question this week. We got a, a question on Twitter a couple of weeks back. A gentleman goes by the handle at uh, R8R Dad. So I think it's supposed to be Raider Dad, and so I'm assuming he's a Raiders fan. Um, I don't know how he's feeling about that move to Vegas, but hey, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but at R <laughs> at R Raider Dad, he asks, and it is in regard to a tweet he saw regarding an office building that was being raided by law enforcement due to an investigation. And so then he it prompted this question. He said, I just saw this tweet and was wondering how I can find out if this shady outfit is a holding in any REIT I own or may want to own. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Thanks. 
And then he throws a nice little P.S. in here, Matt. He says, P.S. I love your work on the Motley Fool podcasts. Keep up the great work. So, Raider Dad, hey, listen, thanks for those kind words. We really appreciate it. Um, and it's worth noting, I mean, he sent this question to you and uh, you and me, Matt. So, I think we thought that it would be a great one to tackle here on the show. I think there's there's uh, pretty good information out there regarding REITs and what they hold. But but what would you what would you say here to Raider Dad? Where can he go find more information regarding REITs and what they hold? Well, th- first of all, I hope he still feels that way when he finds out I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's okay <laughs> with it. But um, I will say, first of all, if there is like a toxic tenant situation, like which sounds like what he's referring to here, right? If a company, if a REIT doesn't have any exposure to them in their portfolio, they'll usually make that well known. Um, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Empire State Realty Trust is is my biggest REIT holding right now. Um, they own the Empire State Building and a bunch of other office real estate in New York City. Um, we all know how the WeWork IPO went, or the non-IPO went. Yeah. Um, so one of my biggest concerns was, this is an office REIT in New York City. Do, do they have any exposure to WeWork? They came out almost immediately <laughs> saying, we don't, we don't have anything to do with this. We don't lease to co-working spaces, which, you know, if... That's the exact right thing they should do. If they don't have any exposure, make that known. Settle the questions before they're asked. Um, if if whatever REIT you own doesn't say that, they're in in order. First, go to their investor relations site. You'll usually see a tab toward the top of the page that says portfolio. You can usually get details about the individual properties your REIT owns there. Um, I'd say about 90% of, of questions like that could be settled by just going to the IR site and looking at the portfolio. Beyond that, the annual report is a really good source. Um, usually, it'll list some of the top tenants, things like that. And if all else fails, there's usually a contact box on the investor relations site where you can directly ask the question, do you have exposure to this tenant? And in my experience, they usually get back to me fairly quickly if I ask them questions like that. So in order, I would say go to the investor relations site and just look at the portfolio, check the annual report or other SEC filings, you know, detailing the portfolio, but that's a little more legwork. And if all else fails, contact the investor relations team. Well, all very good options. We appreciate you taking the time to dig into that, Matt. And Raider Dad, I hope that was helpful. Thanks for the question and for the kind words. That is uh, why we're here. So we're going to keep doing it as long as they let us. Uh, Okay, Matt, we're going to jump into another installment of the last stock you bought and why. Uh, given that we've had these holidays and interviews and whatnot, we've got a nice little pipeline building up here of everybody chiming in with the last stocks they bought. Uh, but we're going to kick it off here with Robert Leonard at Robert A. Tip. He said, albeit a small position, I bought a few shares of, you're going to love this, Matt, Green Dot, for all the reasons you guys talk about on the show and as an addition to my war on cash basket. Uh, good, good call uh, there, Robert, on the uh, war on cash basket. You know, we feel like Green Dot is set up for a, a better year this year, so hopefully, hopefully, we'll see that that company moving on the up and up. Uh, Jay Shaw at JBS Five says the last stock I bought is Etsy. It's my opening position and plan to add more if it goes down. Unique experience and always like the experience when use the platform. Hoping I am making TMFJMO proud. And yes, Jay, you are. Let me tell you, you know how I feel about Etsy. A big fan. I own it myself. I find it to be a very unique um, network. And I think they've done a very good job of demonstrating that they are at least pretty Amazon resistant. Maybe not fully, but pretty 
pretty, pretty, pretty Amazon resistant. And finally, El Huracan at El Bukanawa says the last stock I bought after Motley Fool's information and podcast. I finally opened accounts for my toddlers at two and five. Very well done, El Huracan. You bought stocks for the future I envision for them. A thriving Africa, Jumia, decriminalized weed, organogram, and space travel, Virgin Galactic. <laughs> and he wraps it up with next, less risky stocks. <laughs> Good observation there. Those are probably some riskier holdings, but I do like the idea there, particularly in, in you know buying those stocks for your toddlers at that age. I mean, you, Time is really of the essence for these for these companies, and, and I think that these kids are going to have a lot of time to to watch these businesses sink or swim. What do you think, Matt? I think Virgin Galactic is definitely one I would buy for my kids, not necessarily for myself, but I think they'll be there to see the the fruits of the labor there. Yeah, space is a really cool investment. We were talking about this last week. It just it's an amazing situation because you've you, you you don't have a whole heck of a lot in in the way of investable ideas out there today. But what you can see is that the money that is being plowed into this space, no pun intended, it's going to create some serious barriers to entry for for when this does become a more material opportunity. But financially, there's just the barriers to entry in the in the the, the finance, the capital involved, and, and really the know how. Uh, a very unique market and one that I think has uh, a lot of attractive qualities here over the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, definitely. And, and never want to bet against Richard Branson. That's a bad idea. No, no, no. Him, Elon <laughs> Musk, Jeff Bezos, don't bet against them. I mean, just if you don't want to invest in them, don't invest in them, but don't bet against them. It's just easy, easier, easier bets to make out there for sure. All right, Matt, let's wrap it up for this week with our ones to watch. What stock are you watching this coming week? Mine is an exchange-traded funder ETF. It's the Vanguard REIT ETF. Uh, ticker symbol is VNQ. And if you're worried about what the market's doing right now, this volatility, um, I've said a few times that there's a lot more that can go wrong in the market than go right. We said that on our on the 2020 prediction show. Um, REITs tend to hold up a lot better during volatile markets and market crashes and recessions than than most. They thrive on low interest rates. The current consensus, uh, the market's pricing in two rate cuts in 2020, which one of my bold predictions is would come true if that <laughs> happened. Um, and just kind of look at the performance today. The, the the fund is down less. It was down less than half a percent right before we started recording. The S&P was down one and a half percent. So it reacts less to market news. It's it's more of considered a safety play. Um it's a safety play that can make money in good times and protect you in bad times. So it's it's really a good one to watch if you're concerned that this might just be the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the sell-off. All right, good stuff. Well, I'm going to go with a familiar name uh, for listeners, Ameris Bancor, ticker ABCB. Uh, Ameris reported earnings late last week, and I, I think everything was, was really looking uh, like it's all going in the right direction. R- relatively new CEO Palmer Proctor is, is some language he used in the call, which I thought was uh, just it, – it leads to why I like this investment, really. He says, you'll see us become more active but not aggressive. So, being active is different than aggressive. Aggressive is writing bad business, right? And, and, and that's what you don't want to see is Banks, insurance companies trying to get in there and and take business that's of lower quality that they might not normally take, and in lending, uh, you know, obviously that's a really big deal. And so, uh, I, the earnings grew, uh, or I'm sorry, the they grew tangible book value uh, for for the year, ten and a half percent, and just modestly for the quarter, but. 
Now you're talking about a company, a bank's got a tangible book value of close to $21 per share now. They'll continue to focus on their four uh, four core strategies, uh, which is the deposit funding, asset quality, becoming more efficient. As you noted earlier, uh, banks really focus on that in these these tougher times as well, and and also growing that tangible book value metric. So, we'll continue to follow those metrics and make sure that they're uh, living up to, to their words. Uh, you know, improvement in the deposit mix now. Non-interest bearing deposits represent thirty percent of total deposits. That's up from twenty six percent a year ago. And remember, that was uh, part of the logic behind this big Fidelity acquisition. And so that lower cost deposit base helps on that efficiency and profitability side. And uh, you, you exclude that Fidelity acquisition, they they grew total deposits three and a half percent. They now stand uh, total deposits just over fourteen billion dollars. So again, a bank that I think continues to do well in difficult times. They just made a very Big acquisition, the largest of their history. It seems to be going fairly well, uh, but it's a stock that I still own, and I will continue to own. and And I felt like going through that earnings report that it was another another productive quarter for Ameris Bank Corps. So we'll leave it at that, Matt. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week. It was nice to get back together. Yeah, I'll see you next week, and I'll see you in person three weeks from today. I know you're counting the days. Yep, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm just marking them off on the calendar, actually, man. Every day <laughs> goes by, I put a little cross through, and there's the next one. It's just looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan behind the glass for keeping us on the straight and narrow this week. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.